0: The world around us is full of false choices. That temptation to be us versus them. For or against. In or out. But what does it really look like for followers of Jesus to engage in the messiness of life? The gray issues of faith. To truly allow our lives to conform to the gospel. Join us as we try to figure it out. We are the Brian and Janelle Podcast. And what a treat joining us live now. She's a clinical psychologist. Uh, she's worked with our friend Steve Gersovich for many years who's a child psychiatrist in the area. She's executive director of New Horizons for Children. Sherry, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much.
0: So the the first obvious question uh, from anybody would be, what in the world are you thinking? Why why did you go to Ukraine during a war?
1: Well, okay, so New Horizons for Children has been actually helping orphan children in Ukraine since 2009. And as the war was starting to brew, we actually were helping the directors try to figure out, you know, should they leave the country? What should they do? And I went over to help while I was there. I helped evacuate a few of our orphanages in that process, the war unfolded and several nights in a bunker. And one night I was sitting in the bunker and I'm like, okay, Jesus, I'm done. I'm going home. I'm going to my own babies. I've had enough of this. I'm scared. It's time to move unless you make it really, really clear that I need to stay here. Later that day, we got out of the bunker, got a request to meet with one of the military defense operators and went over to his office, and he basically said, what you're doing for your kids, I want you to help me do for all the orphan children in Ukraine. Oh. I'm like, okay, God, I'm staying. <laughs> wow.
0: <laughs> so what you was know, it like being in a bunker during a war?
1: Well, you yeah. The first time the sirens went off it was kinda like, Oh, okay, hey, here we go. After about the second or third time, each time starts to evoke a little bit more fear because the sirens go off, there's a Ukrainian voice that's you know screaming at you in Ukrainian to run, hide, shelter, take cover. Then you you know, you go into a bunker and a bunker is basically you know, it's, it's the basement of your apartment or a hotel or, and it's shared by multiple buildings. So there's just lots of people pouring into a bunker. Mm-hmm. It's totally dirt filled. It's cold, it's damp. And if you're there for 15 or 20 minutes, no big deal. But sometimes you're there for six, seven hours. Some of the children we've rescued have been in those bunkers for days. And it, it's scary. I mean, kids are crying. People are crying. Like it's it just and you're sitting there waiting and you, you're waiting to hear. If you get an all clear, you're waiting to hear if you can hear missiles flying overhead. It's terrifying. It.
0: <sighs> yeah, I got to just sit on that for a minute. That, that That's a lot. So it, it bec- is. So you, you said people are crying. Is it, there's like weeping there. I mean, what, what, what are the sounds?
1: The day that the, the night that I was talking with Jesus in the bunker, um, I just I remember sitting there and across from me there was a lady just sitting in her chair with her her baby in her arms just rocking her baby trying to soothe her baby and around us you know there were people who had their pets there were people who were pacing it's just a whole variety of different sounds it's it's like murmuring and it's it's solemn it's hard to describe it's I remember when we were, one of the times we were leaving the bunker and I said to someone, I said, this is kind of like a scene from Saving Private Ryan. And he just looked at me and said, no, Sherry, Saving Private Ryan is like a scene from this. I'm like, oh, this is real. And that's when it just really started sinking. And I'm like, Lord, what am I doing in a war zone? It's time to get out of here.
0: Hey there, Brian and Janelle podcast listeners. Brian here with a quick item for you before we get to the main content in today's episode. I'm super excited to tell you about a brand new podcast series I created in partnership with Moody Radio that's available starting right now. It's called The Grandfather Effect. And here's the quick backstory. I only have really one strong memory of my paternal grandfather, Tom. Tom. And it was when my dad and I were standing shoulder to shoulder in a crowded room right in front of his open casket. And I remember standing there a bit mystified. Because, you see, Grandpa Tom had lived only about 15 miles away from my house growing up. And yet I never saw him. He never talked to me, called me, never came to birthday parties. He was no part of our life. He had disowned my family when I was about three years old and my family was left with lots of questions. Because from our perspective, the reason he disowned us didn't seem to make much sense. The circumstances were so seemingly trivial, it just didn't add up. So what happened? Well, about five years ago, I decided to try to find out. And that journey became much more complicated than I could have possibly imagined. And I chronicled the entire thing with a recorder in my hand, And take you along in the journey. The podcast series is called The Grandfather Effect. Would you consider giving it a listen? I'd be super grateful for your support. And if you like what you hear, maybe you'd be willing to leave a a nice review or even tell a friend about it. All right, let's get back to today's episode. Thanks a lot. How is this changing you? Because, I mean, this is a life-altering experience, that most of us, Lord willing, will never have to experience. Mm -hmm. So being in a war zone, trying to rescue children, how's it changing you?
1: You know, before the night in the bunker, each day was a little bit scarier. I was sending texts back home each time I went into the bunker, because you just don't know and you start to kind of live in that place of fear. And I think that's kind of one of the strategies of all the air raid sirens and the missiles is just to evoke terror and fear in all of those poor people and especially the children. I just knew what, what God was saying we needed to do. It, it became so much, it just became clear. It was like the fear went away because it was like, you know what? I'm here. God said, be here. God is going to take care of us and he's going to help us do what he's asked us to do. And if he doesn't, same thing would have happened back home. My time is done. God just removed that fear. And as a result, we've just, you know, we're just each day. We're like, okay, Lord, what do you have for us today?
0: Talk to us about the children today. that you're rescuing, like what? First of all, what, why were some of them orphaned to begin with? What, t- talk about the orphan crisis or wh- whatever it is in Ukraine.
1: Yeah, it's same situation as here in the states. Sometimes you know parents have passed away and there's no other family who can help. Other times it's children who have been taken away due to neglect or abuse. Um, so similar situation. And Ukraine's in a process of deinstitutionalization, so they're moving kids from orphanages uh, in creating a foster care system. And they've been doing a really good job of that and they're in process, but they're not entirely done. And so there's still some children in, you know, there's different regions in Ukraine and there's usually going to be, you know, one orphanage in each, uh, region. And then there's going to be boarding schools, which also have some children who are orphaned who are mixed with the other children. So they're in a great process and they care about their kids, but these kids are still there in institutional care. And that's where New Horizons for Children comes in. We've been helping them and supporting them with the kids who are in care. Um, and so now these kids, you know, especially we're focused on those far eastern, southeastern regions. Those, you know, as the Russians move in, you know, we've been watching, you know, we've got a great rescue team we work with. We've been watching locations on the ground and, and keeping track of things. And when a region is ready to evacuate, right it's, it's time for us to figure out you know it's already too late to figure out we've already figured it out how to get there um and we send in teams who are going in to get the children and i mean some of these places are you know Donetsk region and mariupol region i mean these are hard hard hit regions it's these kids they, they're just living in terror right they've already been traumatized by the events of their story from their childhood they've, you know, they've gone through complex developmental traumas and now we've, we're adding to that this whole entire new layer of trauma and fear. And these kids, they, they just even getting from the east to the west, they have to go past all of the destruction. They, they see bodies. They, you know, We, we had one group of young kids, an amazing, amazing group of kids. The orphanage teachers, um, the teachers of the boarding school, live in the village, and they come out on the weekends and they swap staff. So half goes back and half come in. In the process of those teachers switching out, the Russians stopped their car, which had Red Cross emblems on it, and executed all the teachers. Oh, wow. What these kids have gone through, none of us have experienced that kind of horror and terror. So we're adding to years of complex trauma this new war trauma and these babies they're just suffering the people of ukraine are suffering i can't it's so hard to describe what's going on there it's just it's pervasive and it's it's evil it's, it's just horrifying
0: now i i can't resist just stopping for a moment to talk about some of the geopolitical situation there because what you just described is the opposite of what of what the russian government is claiming The the Russians are saying they're trying to, you know, rescue, whatever the weird narrative is. And you're talking about a war crime.
1: Yeah, it's awful. And that's just one of many, many, many stories we hear. You know, I kept, early on, I kept thinking, okay, it's only political targets. We're safe. It's only political targets. It's not. I mean, you know, in Lviv, he hit a, he had a train station. Why do you need to hit a train? There's nothing military about these trains that are bringing women and children to Lviv. Nothing. He knows that. He's a very smart man. This, this is long since past, And there's, there's no code of ethics in this war whatsoever. There's no, no morality.
0: So can you, can you bring us to the point where, uh, I'm, is it safe to assume you interacted with those children who were, who were next door to this atrocity?
1: Yeah. So, so
0: what what is happening? Like when you go and you look in those children's eyes and you hear their stories and you hear them talk, like take us there.
1: These kids, you know, reality is these kids have been in bunkers. Some of them haven't had, you know, food or resources in a few days. By the time we get to them, you know, the teams are getting in, they're extracting the kids, and it's that whole process is very scary. Oftentimes, you know, they're having to traverse through minefields and all sorts of things. So they, sometimes they're bringing the kids out in cars to get them to mini buses, to get them to bigger buses, to make their way all across the country. And what could normally be done in you know 12 or 14 hours is taking 40, 50 hours because of the security and the danger risks that these kids are going through. So. By the time they get to the western side of ukraine and that and that bus pulls up, these kids are exhausted yeah. they're depleted they're scared they've been running on adrenaline for days and days so i mean they're just they're kind of coming off like almost like little robots, little zombies like they're just their eyes are hollow they're just they're scared and and if you if you look on our Facebook page, we video some of the the rescue moments, and so you can see some of the things going on, but it's, it's, they're just, I I don't know, I can't even put it into words. It's just, it's just sorrow. I mean, that's what you feel. It's just sorrow. It's so bittersweet because you're so excited that they're getting off that bus, but the reality of why is just so huge.
0: I'm I'm sorry. I've been trying to be protective of, of your work, but it's, it sounds like you're comfortable sending folks to your Facebook page. And if so, can you just tell them how to get there?
1: yep so we're new horizons for children you just look it up on our facebook page easy to find early on we were being very very cautious and very careful because we were the only ones in country initially there are a few others now there are so many different ngos and rescue teams and groups and so so we're you know now we feel a little bit more comfortable because okay. we don't feel like we're the one and only now <laughs> yeah there's a lot so, of us to go after now right? You know, right
0: so so new horizons for children again new horizons for children
1: I know that part of your efforts sherry is to provide resources for uh, for these children is it too early to uh, to For you to start providing some of the mental health care and addressing some of the shock and just emotional needs that they have? Is it more just bare necessities right now? A little bit of both. And what we're doing, so the Lviv Military Administration has been helping us identify places that we can renovate quickly and make it physically safe for children. Warm water, bathrooms. We've got lots of, you know, different groups or from our donors that we're bringing in blankets and medicines and everything that we need to, to get the children to that place of physical safety. Yeah. And that's kind of as is, is crazy as it sounds, that's the easy part, right, mm-hmm. is to get the kids to these places, get these buildings renovated, get everything we need for the kids. What comes next is the emotional mm-hmm. safety. And we know that it's not an easy fix, right? Mm-hmm. So we're, right. we're getting those kids in. And before we can even begin to process We've we've got to help them calm their hearts down. So the groups that came in weeks ago now, those groups are just getting to a place where, and, it, and it's still Ukraine and there's still sirens, but we've got all of our safe havens are off in rural locations away from military targets and very close to the border. Lviv has helped us phenomenally by selecting pe- you know, places that if we needed to evacuate across the border, We have a whole backup plan to be able to move well over a thousand children across the border fairly quickly. I'm amazed at what God has put together so quickly. But yeah, so those first groups that have been in are just getting to that place where we can start to process a little. And what we're doing is we're actually, we've brought in all of their caregivers from each of their orphanages or boarding schools. So they are with, you know, people say, why are you keeping kids in Ukraine? Because we don't want to add another layer of trauma, right? Yeah. Crossing yeah. that border is a new culture, a new language. Mm-hmm. There are child traffickers all over the border. I, I had no idea and didn't understand that until oh, yes. I was there and saw it. And and there's groups across the border. And, you know, Poland and other places are doing as best as they can, yeah. but they've gotten, you know, 4.7 million people in a month. Yes. Right. Um, I, I, so I have what, to hit
0: pause though. What, what do you mean you saw child trafficking? Yeah, for can real. you explain that?
1: Well, <laughs> so for the, one of the first, you know, when I was learning from some of the experts there on human trafficking and just kind of learning to watch for things. Um, when I was at the border one morning, I, I saw this young woman early twenties and And there are so many people who they're helping. It's amazing. And most of them are all legitimate, right? Mm -hmm. But this girl, she had the sign just saying, you know, I can help young women. I can get you to shelter, get you resources. And and so I went over and I started talking to her, you know, are you with a church group, what do you do? And and, um, she said she had met up with a group of people. There are a few men at a hotel that she had stayed at. And she explained, they had asked her what she was doing. She explained to them. You know, she was just helping. And they're like, well, if you can get us any young, single women and bring them back, you know, we can't we can't house children, but we can house young, single women. You know, early on, I I wouldn't have necessarily caught all of that. And I wouldn't have even known how to ask those questions. And I'm like, do you know these men? She's like, well, no, I I met them at the hotel. I'm like, "And it could be legitimate. But my gut was just like, oh, my gosh, like. I'm like, you don't know these, I said, have you checked in to make sure any of the girls you took there in the last few days are still there? And she's like, well, they've moved them on to, you know, other areas of the country. And and I just said to her, I said, you've got to be really, really careful. Your heart is in the right place, but you might be inadvertently helping a trafficker. What did she say? She was horrified. She was just like, she didn't know because she had it. She was just joining the team to help. Like, her, her motive was absolutely pure. She, she was yeah. just trying to help. And I just, I didn't know they were that sneaky. And they, were, they prey on the support of locals who are emotionally invested. It, 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 again, it's Again, it's evil.
0: No wonder you want to keep those babies in the country. Yeah. Exactly. We All want right, to keep yeah. them
1: close to the border. If we need to get them out, we can. Yeah. But we don't need to risk getting over the border, new culture, new language, and losing their heritage. Like, it's just too much. So that's where this idea came from of how can we keep them here? It's one thing to, you know, house Forty or fifty, but now we're talking thousands. And yeah. so, yeah. So, yeah. We get the kids in these safe places, and we get their hearts calmed down. And what I'm trying to do is their caregivers are with them because that was important to me. We're not trying to care for the children mm-hmm. with Americans. We are Americans who are supporting the care of Ukraine's children <laughs> and awesome. using Ukrainians. So the kids are with their caregivers who speak their language. And what I'm trying to do is to build into the caregivers. So I'm helping them because we told all the caregivers when they evacuated with the children, these are moms, right? Mm -hmm. Bring your own children. They have their own families and we couldn't leave them in crisis either. And we needed them for the kids. So we're like, bring your own children. (laughs) So we've been working with all of these caregivers on how to, first of all, take care of yourself because you now have a whole entire orphanage that you're responsible for without a whole lot of supports because, all none of the men could come. They've all had to go to war. Yeah. And so how do you take care of yourself physically? How do you take care of yourself emotionally? What can we do to help you do that really well? And then here are things that you can do for your personal children to help your children process this trauma. And then really just trauma informed care. What do you need to do to help all of the children who are in your care? And that that's our approach. We're not, you know, trying to go one on one with each of the children. We're trying to reach their caregivers and train them on what does trauma-informed care look like. And we're keeping it really, really simple. Each week, we just give them a little bit of education and a little bit of strategy. What can I do today? You know, one of the things we know is really important for these kids any child from trauma to know that they have access to food and water. Yeah. You know, so every child needs a, a water bottle. This is what you need to do, and this is why this is important for the kids. It's important for you, your children, and for the orphans. So that's been our approach that we've been taking. As you pursue more stable environment and families for the children, in the meantime, are you looking for like extended families or like adoption families, or is that for a later nope. stage? Yep, yeah, that, that's nothing that we are doing. This is really about keeping Ukraine's children in Ukraine. Okay. Some of these children, you know, families are re- working on reunification, things like that. These aren't all children who are even clear for any kind of hosting program or adoption program. And New Horizons does hosting programs. That's why we're in the country. We don't do adoptions, only hosting, mm-hmm. where we match them up with Christian families here in the U.S. at summer or Christmas, um, and they come for a short visit. But that's all on the back burner. Right now we're trying to protect Ukraine's children. We're trying to help calm them. We're trying to bring in trauma-informed care. And we're looking at a long-term plan. That's our next step, right? We're first getting them safe. What's the long-term plan? Because those areas on the east are destroyed. There's no schools to even go back to. So that's kind of the next phase where we're like... We're working with other NGOs, and a lot of our families who have hosted and a lot of the churches that our families are from, we need that financial support to be able to, okay, what do we do now? Because you can't just bring them here and leave them, right? And Ukraine is fighting a war. So how do we start planning for the safety and security of a long-term plan for these kids? Eventually, you know, the U.S. is Ukraine's number one partner in working on international adoption. Mm -hmm eventually that will all go back in place, but that's not now. Right now it's about safety.
0: So again, we're talking with Sherry from new horizons for children. Again, new horizons for children. We'll have some links up on our social media sites and such. Uh, how are you doing Sherry in all this?
1: You know, before, before I had my come to Jesus talk, um, it was, I I was scared, right? I was being traumatized by what I was seeing. Once I I understood what God was calling us to, it it became really, really clear. But it didn't mean that I still didn't develop some trauma along the way. Um, I'm back and forth and and doing some things here. I'm heading back again tomorrow. Um, But I remember one of the first times I came back right after the most horrific experiences, and I was... Walking out of the airport, and an airplane flew over, and I instinctively ducked behind a, a concrete pillar. And I'm like, "Oh wow, okay, I have more trauma than I'm aware of." Wow. Um, so, you know, it, it it does mess with you. At nighttime, I found myself scrolling on Facebook and on YouTube, and until one or two in the morning, and I'm going. I need to go to sleep i have to get up at three or four because i'm on ukrainian time i'm like why am i doing this and then all of a sudden it dawned on me the air raids don't start until about two or three in the morning in ukraine it's a terror technique right so my i knew that if i stayed awake long enough then you know whether or not it's a night you can go to sleep or if it's a night of air raid sirens like so i'm having to you know i come back and just kind of refocus myself for the time here get myself you know, back in church and calm myself down so that I can take care of me so that I can help take care of all these others. But I'm, yeah, I'm doing a lot uh, of praying, a lot of journaling and a, a lot of conversations with the Lord.
0: Well, and see, i worked in ministry long enough to know that, that our instincts hearing your stories are, may not be helpful. Like, you know, I, I want to go and I want to get one of those kids and bring them home, Sherry, or I'm going to take a bunch of winter coats and I'm going to take them to your, your company, you know, your, your ministry what how can we actually help
1: and you're absolutely correct and and it's it comes from such a good place people are moved and they want to help but the reality is every time another american shows up it depletes resources from the 4.7 million refugees trying to get out of country and so i keep saying to our host families and the people who have worked with our ministry over the years i'm like going there in person isn't what's needed. We have a lot of Ukrainians on the ground who we know they're vetted. They've all been, you know, credentialed, they've worked in childcare. They can help, but we need to support them so that they don't become exhausted, tired or not have the resources they need. Our biggest thing is we are we are supporting all of, you know, over right now over 1200 children on a daily basis. All their food, their clothing, all those things and it's coming through financial donors. Um, we're trying to give our donors updates every single week about what exactly this week looks like, what we're doing, things we've done. But the most, first and foremost, most important is prayer, right? We, we need to take this before the Lord because it is beyond the scope of anything anybody can fathom or that anybody can do. It, it's got to go before the Lord. Second thing is help support financially.
0: And really, it sounds like anything else probably wouldn't help
1: no because to try to ship things into ukraine is incredibly difficult we we had some countries italy sent us several you know truckloads of things that you know brought out over well the problem is is now they're in warehouses and you've got to go through customs and so when people send things one small package from the us to ukraine is $56 oh. so if oh. somebody sends oh, wow. they send me you know here's something we want to send some clothes and you know, it's a small box that box could cost me $100, but the Ukrainian stores on the west are all being fully stocked. Poland has made sure they're expediting any kind of deliveries across the border to restock stores. And the stores are giving us things at wholesale prices. And some of the stores, like, they'll go in and they'll just be like, take it, just take it today. We've got a ton of shoes, good brand name tennis shoes for $10 a pair. There's no way on this side of the country that we can get that kind of price, and then ship it. So it's really supporting the Ukrainian economy on that west side. They're they're doing wonderful things for these kids.
0: Well, and you know, I, I think it probably happens in every country, and you have to help me with this because it's taken me years to even begin to see it, but we have this instinct of like, it's not gonna, like help won't arrive until we get there. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like your your approach with your ministry is more like, Ukrainians are smart people, they got it
1: they they do. So they, so what do you and, make and of that
0: is, that mindset? That's kind of what I want to know.
1: Well, well we're Christians, right? And and we want to, we want to care. We want to be Jesus, the hands and feet of Jesus. We want to do something. Part of that's American culture, you know, do do do. Mm-hmm. And and we've gotten this kind of notion that mission work is do 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 and it and it is. But we have to be so careful we don't cross over into that toxic charity kind of realm where it's about what we're perceiving as the need versus talking to those who are on the ground and really understanding from their perspective, what is the need? You know, one of the phrases that we keep coming back to in any of our mission trips, because we're in Kenya and Haiti and other places, and we talked about, you have to be really, really careful about the unintended consequences because you're doing this for good, Right. But there's always going to be unintended consequences, and you have to be careful because those unintended consequences could leave people in more dangerous places. Like the girl at the border, right? She was doing great things in her mind because she wanted to help, but the unintended consequence of what she was doing might have been trafficking people. And so we have to stop and slow down enough to say, wait a minute, is this about me and my desire to serve and to help and what i'm thinking is needed or have i spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time talking to the person i'm trying to assist to really understand and think through you know what are those unintended consequences going to be
0: well you my, my friend are in- introducing us again uh afresh to jesus yeah and, and and the ministry work you're doing there we're certainly grateful you've taken the time to chat with us today and share your stories it's been powerful for at least just, I'm some guy on a radio station talking to you and you know Janelle with me and Ron. Mm-hmm. It's been incredible to hear what the Lord's doing through you. Can we pray for you before we say goodbye today? Oh,
1: please do. Absolutely.
0: Lord God, thank you for Sherry and for the work of New Horizons for Children uh, and for their love for you and for their humility to trust the Ukrainian people who are doing good work in your name already. Thank you for the risks they're taking, for the courage you've given Sherry the selflessness you've given her and her colleagues. We pray for these babies, these yes. children that are in danger, that you would continue to put your protective hand on them. Give the Ukrainian uh, leadership over orphans clarity of mind and thought that they would uh, know what to do next. Help sharing and her team at New Horizons for Children. Help them to know the next steps that will bring you honor and glory and protect the babies to the best of their ability. And Lord, we pray for a miracle to end this thing. Lord, will you somehow bring a swift end to the war in Ukraine? Will you somehow convict government in Russia to stop? Uh, and may you, you do it and for your glory in some way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. And Sherry, again, if folks want to reach out to New Horizons for Children, uh, it's here in Northeast Ohio, right?
1: Yep. So, yeah, we're based here. We're, we're based here in Georgia. Most of what we do is virtual because we're in Haiti, Kenya, Ukraine, right? So we're around the world. Um, but we have a website, nhfc.org, which stands for New Horizons for Children, first letter of each word, uh, and then our Facebook page, and they can follow everything we're doing. They can get on the mailing list, see our updates every week. It's really about how do we best care for, you know, God's command to care for the orphan.
0: Okay, new Horizons for Children. Sherry, when you get back to the States, will you call us again?
1: Absolutely.
0: All right. God bless you, sister. Thank you for your time today.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode. Don't forget, if you like what you hear on a weekly basis, we'd be grateful for your ratings and reviews wherever you listen. And also subscribe so you get the latest episodes. Follow us wherever you are on social media and search for us online. We're at brianandjanelle.org. Don't miss our weekday morning show with conversations just like this. You can listen on the Moody Radio mobile app or, again, at our website, brianandjanelle.org. Special thanks to the talented team of individuals who tirelessly put together this podcast every week. Josue Villa, Mike Reynolds, and Ron Eastwood. The Brian and Janelle podcast is a production of WCRF Moody Radio Cleveland. Until next time, we're Brian and Janelle.